Welcome to Here With Me, Maggie John, a podcast about life stories and lessons learned that asks the question, what got you to the place you find yourself in at this point in your life? Before we get started with today's episode, can I ask you to subscribe to this podcast? Let me know you're listening and it helps more people find the amazing guests we get to showcase right here. This is also our second last episode of this season. And so we are trying to figure out if we will embark on another season and your feedback, your subscriptions really will help us gauge uh, just where we go from here on out. So would love to hear from you and see your subscriptions pop up. All right, today is a a really heavy topic. We are talking about addiction. Did you know that in Canada alone, approximately 21% of our population, that's about 6 million people, will experience a substance use disorder or addiction at some point in their lifetime? My guest today is American, but I'm sure the American stats are very similar Her name is Irene Rollins, and she has written a powerful new book, Reframe Your Shame, Experience Freedom from What Holds You Back. If you know of someone who has struggled with addictions and has discounted themselves, maybe they've given up or their loved ones have given up on them, this conversation is for them and for you. It's going to give you some of the tools in order for you to have maybe that that first breakthrough conversation that they need to hear, that they need to hear that they are loved, that they need to hear that they are valued. And maybe those words need to come from you. You have not just stumbled upon this podcast just to hold it to yourself, but to share it with others that need to hear Irene's amazing, powerful story. We'll also hear from Roxanne Francis, who will join us again for Black Girl Chat, and really want to hear from Roxanne from a psychotherapist perspective on how do we journey with maybe loved ones in our lives who are struggling through addiction? How do we walk alongside? How do we provide support? Or maybe ourselves, maybe you know, you're listening and you are struggling through addiction and uh, need to take that first step in finding help and seeking help. Irene's story and Roxanne's um, advice is definitely going to help give you some of those tools. All right, let's get started with today's episode with Irene Rollins. Irene, thank you for joining us. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we love to start our uh, podcast with the question, where do you find yourself right now, Irene? So, you know, be it psychologically, mentally, physically, spiritually, what brings you to this place in which you sit today? Recovery brings me to this place of uh, peace uh, and being present in the moment. Mm. And so what's interesting about where I am now is ordinarily before recovery, Irene, would be stressed and not know how to manage my stress and medicate it with something unhealthy like alcohol. And now today, um, I'm not there. I'm at peace because I'm intentional about starting my day off in communion with the Lord. And then I get after my meditation and my devotions, I can kick off my day and I'm like helping kids transition out of my house. I'm, they're moving to other states. We're traveling. I'm speaking. We're just, I got dogs. It's just all kinds of stuff 
but I'm not as stressed about it as I used to be. So it's mm -hmm. like, I have just contentment in any place where I am. That's where I'm at wow. today. Contentment. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's, that's freedom. That's what freedom sounds like. Oh wow. yes. It feels good. And, yeah. And, and what a journey, Irene, you have mm -hmm. gone through. I want to, I want to start off just going back. You start off your book and it's called reframe your shame, experience freedom from what holds you back. You start off the book sharing that you started drinking at the age of 10. Yes. How did that begin? Like really innocently, um, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, I yeah. lived overseas in Africa. Um, my dad worked there. I was born there too, but um, my dad was working and uh, he had big cases of Guinness. And I asked him what it was. And he jokingly, not literally said, yeah. it's vitamins, honey. Rather, you know, how sometimes parents yeah, joke yeah, yeah. about something that um, they don't want to explain or whatever. Yeah. I didn't know what alcohol was. So yeah. I helped myself to these vitamins once a day and nobody knew. I just, I didn't know what alcohol was, but I didn't know I was changing my brain chemistry and creating oh. a little alcoholic <laughs> at 10. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and then- And it started you, to escalate throughout your childhood. Yeah. yeah so- Talk to me about that. When I went to boarding school, um, I was in Switzerland at the time because, yeah, long story, my dad's job. Mm -hmm. So they sent us over to boarding school and uh, there was no drinking age that I knew of. So, mm -hmm. and everyone, especially the American students were all about alcohol. So mm -hmm. I'm like, what is this that they're so fascinated by? I want to try that. Tried it, didn't know anything about alcohol and we didn't drink to get buzzed. You drank to get drunk. Mm -hmm. And so abused alcohol up until I was about 21. And wow. when I met Jesus and really transport, he transformed my life. So started having children, didn't drink again until my early thirties. And so it let's was, go, yeah, let's go back to those years though, Irene, cause mm -hmm. so you start drinking at 10. So mm -hmm. were you consistently, you said you drink once a day right? You mm -hmm. didn't, you didn't, you were drinking this Guinness, not knowing really what it was. Mm -hmm. So did that, so when you started drinking in boarding school, was that just a continuation of, of this addiction that you had formed after a while? I wouldn't say it was at addiction level yet. Okay. So okay. the way, uh, you have to look at addiction like a spectrum. So, yep. you know, starting out to for exposure, yep. habitual, drinking casual. And that's where I was, um, for a very short time <laughs> because once okay. I, I didn't consume alcohol in small amounts, I abused okay. it when I drank okay. it all through my teens. Wow. So I quickly was pushing myself down the spectrum to dependency. I would say I was at about 21. I was getting to the point where I was really more dependent because of I was abusing it regularly. And I could tell looking back that I was becoming mm. more dependent on it. Um, and I never did it in moderation. So mm. chemically, and I, I was changing my brain chemistry. So mm -hmm. when alcohol touches my body, it has a reaction that is saying, I need more when you're at that stage to get mm. to a certain feeling. So in order for me to feel 
this reward system of my brain light up, I would have to drink more than the average regular drinker. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So describe Mm -hmm. to me, Irene, 21 and younger on Mm -hmm. alcohol. What were you like? I would become uninhibited. So I was super insecure and had um, major self-image issues, just low self-esteem, did not think I was attractive, did not think I was beautiful. I felt like I was really ugly. And um, (laughs) I just didn't feel good about myself. And it's not something I said out loud. I just Mm -hmm. did not believe that I was worthy enough or beautiful. So that drinking alcohol gave me liquid confidence. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't have a panic attack going into the club or into Mm -hmm. a social setting if I had a drink before. Then I could not have so many butterflies in my stomach when I was going into a place that was social where I knew, um, well, at that age, I was, I knew that I could get attention from men if mm-hmm. I dressed a certain way, but I, I felt like not having confidence was like apparent to people. So mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to clothe myself with confidence. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. The only way I knew to do it was less clothes and more to drink. <laughs> mm, wow. So then you meet Jesus, as you said. Mm-hmm. Your life transforms. Um, you get married. You describe, you know, you kind of had the perfect life. The yeah. husband, Jimmy, you're pastors of a church. You have three kids. You have the dogs. Mm-hmm. Everything is great. Um, and, and so you weren't drinking during that time because you're focused on being, being a part of a family. Yeah. And I thought at that time, the church environment I was in, it was very much a no, no drinking was Mm. just not. So so I did it more out of pleasing people than Mm. I did out of any type of conviction I had for myself, which is why we started questioning the why behind what we do. Um, are we doing it for religious legalistic reasons or are we doing it because what the bible says bible didn't say anything about us not drinking so we reintroduced it back early 30s yeah Mm -hmm. you you talk about not being happy in your marriage as well again from the outside you know irene has the perfect life um but not feeling happy and feeling like you were falling apart inside. Describe mm-hmm. what was going on. My goodness. I got dysfunction was my normal. So mm. I just felt like this was my life sentence, just serving everyone else, taking care of everyone else. My, I was programmed in my codependent thinking that I existed to take care of other people. I wasn't, nothing was about honoring me, my feelings, my needs, my wants. So over time, that would make anybody miserable, right? If you never take care of yourself, you get resentful because you're just, you're there for everybody's baby shower, everybody's wedding Mm -hmm. funeral, Um, you know, serving my husband, behind my husband in ministry, like making sure anything his hands touched was excellent. And, uh, you know, I supported him with my whole heart and soul and raising children that goes with the job description. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) you know, I I was miserable because I did not take care of myself. I didn't even know how to say, 
everyone's having a bad day. I didn't know I had permission to say I'm overwhelmed, I'm scared, permission, because I felt like weakness. You're not supposed to show it. You're not supposed to talk about shameful things. And I felt shame about things that I'm like, I prayed for this family and it's hard. And I felt shame because I felt like I couldn't handle it. The stress of managing the household as well as working full time and the weight of ministry when we mm. set became senior leaders and transitioned the church from his parents to us we i was like 32 years old and the responsibility emotionally the yeah. weight of carrying a church that grew to thousands in a short period of time wow. was more than i could bear and again i did not want to admit that i couldn't handle it so yeah. the stress was killing me and i was miserable where does that, where do you think that comes from, Irene? The sense of like, we can't admit when we're drowning. Cause I, I think what you're explaining, explaining and we're exhibiting is, is something that a lot of people go through. And mm-hmm. this feeling like I can't cry out for help because that shows weakness. Where, where did that, now looking back after going through therapy, we're going to get through your story, mm-hmm. but all of that stuff and learning about yourself, where do you think that came from? Partially society, yeah. right? Superwoman syndrome. Yeah. Um, that's a message that, you know, society, whether it's, I took it on unconsciously as my truth that I had to do this. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me that I had to do everything and be everything for everyone. I took that on as my, a responsibility that wasn't mine. I took Mm -hmm. on the responsibility of the church. I'm responsible for all of these people. It's God's church. They belong to him. And no one's supposed to be, have carry that weight, but I didn't know how. I think it starts with codependency and codependency, Mm -hmm. the start of it happens in the family system. So again, my family's not bad. Your family's not bad. They yeah. just don't know. <laughs> we yeah. only know what we know. And so if uh, in my child, if we're not affirmed in our childhood, we don't know how we, we can grow up learning not to affirm ourselves and not know mm-hmm. how. Okay. Mm-hmm. If we're not nurtured, if they're like, we have to fend for ourselves. So we develop these systems that don't serve us well in our own minds that yes become our truth that they become the way we function until we hear something otherwise that it's dysfunctional that you're supposed to take care of your own needs and wants and ask for them and say them out loud until someone says that that's okay and we don't give ourselves permission to do that and the no talk rule was just part Mm -hmm. of my family system Mm -hmm. and you better not say anything negative about anything That happens in the family. Oh, no. (laughs) Keep it all to yourself. No, I grew up in a household like that for sure. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that on this podcast before. But I think that word permission, Irene, Mm -hmm. I talk about permission all the time. And you give people permission on how they treat you, but you also give yourself permission Mm -hmm. on how you treat yourself as well. 100%. And so, again, you're right. I think 
you know, the pressures that church and everything could put on you, people, expectations, all of that stuff can really craft the permission that you give yourself to just mm-hmm. breathe, to just say, I need help, that mm-hmm. I'm weak in this area. You know, mm-hmm. those are things. I remember, quick story, I remember once my husband, we, were, we weren't we even dating. We were just friends. And I had all these bags. And I'm, you know, the independent woman. I can carry all my bags by myself. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, uh, can I help you? And I said, no. I'm strong. I'm a strong woman. I can carry my bags for myself. He said, I know you are, but I want to help you. And for me, that was like a light bulb moment of me Mm. just saying, yeah, like admitting Mm -hmm. when you need help. Why is it so hard for us to admit when we need help? Some of us are hard headed and I'm a, I'm telling you, I have grit. Okay. I'm one of those grit people. I love boot camp. I climb Mount Kilimanjaro. It's just like, yeah, Grit, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. And so I just I felt the same way. I'm strong, I can do this. I mm. also, because of my filters, of course, hindsight's 2020. Mm-hmm. The lenses that I saw the world, I felt controlled when Jimmy would mm. try to help me. Ah. I felt like you're trying to control me. What do you want from me? Like it was yeah. kind of like that little dialogue, inner dialogue going on in me. So, and also I, I was so used to taking care of myself. So yeah. like, I don't need you. It's almost yeah. like if I gave myself permission to need someone, <gasps> vulnerability, I could right. get hurt and disappointed. Yep. yep. And you're giving so, too much power to somebody else that you, you're not sure if you'll be able to take back. Mm-hmm. Things get rough. Yep. Yep. So in 2009, you go on vacation, you and Jimmy, and you have a drink. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that is the start of a decline. Oh, share, yes. Share that with us. That light reward system in my brain was like, hello, we have found the thing to take mm. the edge off. And it was like my love affair with alcohol began. I didn't look at it. As a love affair, I just said, I have a high tolerance. I like to come down on the weekends, but then the weekends Mm -hmm. began to be every day. Then it was one day a week that I was dry. Mm -hmm. It was, I need a bottle while I'm cooking dinner of white wine. And then I'd have two glasses of red wine with dinner. And then I'd have Bailey's after dinner, a glass of Bailey's Irish cream. And I'm not slurring, nothing going on. My husband's right. like, I think that's a little bit too much, don't you? No, I, I just have a high tolerance. And mm. then I'm like, hmm, if I don't eat as much, the feeling will come quicker. <laughs> mm. And that I want. Now, this is not something that I say out loud. This is all mm-hmm. internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. I've actually never said this out loud to anybody. Mm. So you get first dibs at Thank these you. thoughts. Um, you're asking the right questions. like. I I needed more to get where I needed. So less food would mean Jimmy wouldn't notice that I drank as much. So I could have three glasses and feel tipsy if I didn't eat. So then now, like, do you see how I'm changed? My my body chemistry is changing and getting more and more unhealthy and It took a simple, it seems like such a short period of time, but it was nothing short of H-E double hockey sticks those six years. Mm. 
because the first three years I'm drinking, I'm drinking, I'm drinking, thinking I'm normally drinking, but I'm just getting more and more dependent, not realizing I really needed it. And then the last three years was when the arguing picked up, the blackout Mm -hmm. started. Um, I'm hiding it. So we're not arguing. So Mm -hmm. then I'm like, I need, I need to figure out a better way to do this so we don't have to argue. I'll just Mm. buy some vodka and take a couple shots before I start drinking wine. And then I'll get where I want to go without having an argument because he'll think I only had two. It's so deceptive. Mm -hmm. Like the only time in my life I became the massive liar was about alcohol. Wow. Yep. You say now, like looking back as you write this great book, Irene, that you are hiding fears, abandonment, rejection, loss, transition, failure, all of this stuff Mm -hmm. that you are hiding in your drinking. Tell me what, I mean, you've already talked about this, just the stress of running a family and a Mm -hmm. church and all of those things. And then you put that on top of it, Irene. That's a lot for one person to handle. Tell me about what was going on with all of that. In my early thirties, I started having flashbacks of things that happened in my childhood, like sexual abuse. And Mm -hmm. here's the deal. I'm not going to get into details about it, but Mm -hmm. what I started to, I would like have the flashback. I'm like, wait a minute, that didn't happen. Did it? And then I'm like, was it a dream? Was it a bad dream? And then suddenly I'm like, oh my God, that happened. And then I'm like, I can't tell anybody about that. I didn't understand that. Can I get real, like super real? Yes. Okay. This, and, we look okay, real. Nice. Yes. Okay. Like I was, there were triggers that I was experiencing in intimacy with my husband mm. that I didn't know were associated with mm. what happened at five, six, mm. seven years old. So yeah. I would drink at that and unconsciously though. So I was so wound up before nighttime when we would be intimate, mm-hmm. you know, that I'd be like, I need, just need something to take the edge off. Mm-hmm. That's the way I, the only way I knew how to define it. So these flashbacks were coming. These memories were coming. My brain was saying, it's safe enough to deal with this. You're at midlife. You yeah. have resources. God, this is the way God created our brain. Stuff will come up when it's time for us to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I stuffed it and numbed the pain of the betrayal, of the abuses, of the date rape, of the, I could go on and on and on about the things that were shameful to me that I would not say out loud. Wow. And that's the thing, you know, you talk about in the book, Irene, about, you know, the stress that's put on pastors and then, Mm -hmm. you know, female pastors as well. And being trained to take care of everybody else, but not being trained to take care of your own trauma. Mm-hmm. And what I hear is you are going through this trauma, not knowing like, how do I actually walk through and journey through this yeah. as well with my mm-hmm. husband and all this stuff that's coming up to the surface? Mm-hmm. Not only that, try adding on. Remember, I had, uh, codependency, your boundary list. You don't yeah. know to how to have boundaries. So both externally and yeah. internally. So internally, I had, uh, I did, when someone else experienced the death of a child, it was like, it was mine. 
when someone, and we would bury that child and do the funerals. Mm -hmm. When somebody would be suicidal, when someone's family member died, like I took on the whole church's problems. Like they were my own. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. First of all, my own issues was too much to bear and adding on everyone else's it sent me overboard and being so unaware of it, like completely unaware because dysfunction was my normal. So I just thought this was the heavy weight of life that I was doomed to carry. And it's so not the Bible. It's so not God. It's so not what Jesus promises us in this abundant life that he's promised. And I just didn't know how or that I had permission. I almost thought like it was everybody else did, had permission. And I would create these environments, church services, where I didn't preach as much, but I would be part Mm -hmm. of the behind the scenes to make Mm -hmm. these experiences happen where people could get free. But for some reason, I just couldn't, there was a glass, it's like there was a glass ceiling over me and Mm -hmm. I couldn't get past, past it. And I believe that that ceiling was shame. It's like it separated me from God and experiencing intimacy and freedom because I was hiding because I'm bad. Something's wrong Mm. with me. Mm. So that's kind of the state of where I was and why the alcohol escalated so quickly. Yeah. And one of the products of shame is isolation, which you did, right? You started Mm -hmm. to remove yourself from church, from your husband, um, Mm -hmm. started leaving early after church as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me about what that did for you inside by by isolating yourself. Oh, it was a lonely and miserable place to be. Um, Mm. Just, you know, I started believing my own hype. Like, you know, earlier you mentioned something like, you know, we have these expectations of people. But Mm -hmm. really, when we don't have a relational mirror, because we have isolated ourselves, and we don't have a friend to bounce something off of, you know, we're not having open, honest dialogue with our spouse. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have a relational mirror to reality test something. So I believed that all these people in the church, that's a cognitive distortion. (laughs) overgeneralized mm-hmm. that all everyone in the church expects me to be this, this, and that, and be everything mm-hmm. to everybody. And it wasn't until somebody challenged my thinking and said, Irene, do, do you think that everyone in the church, or is it, do you think it might be just a minority of people who have high expectations of you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's probably true. So I created my own misery. Yeah. <laughs> That we always mine. do, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And isolation just magnified all of these lies that were in my head and the negative self-talk, mm. you know, and the shame. It was like a shame cycle. I'd have a shame attack. And then I'm like believing it, not running it by someone. Like, I, you know what? I had this really negative thought about myself or getting honest with Jimmy about I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Yeah. I would just go on believing it and never say it out loud. The bondage was miserable. Yeah. I just feel moved to speak to the audience right now. And maybe mm-hmm. you can do this, Irene. 
if you feel like isolation is where you're at, that is a recipe for Satan. That is a recipe for the enemy to fester and to grow in your life. And you do not need to believe the lies Mm -hmm. that the enemy is telling you right now. What you're Mm -hmm. going through, others have gone through. You are not alone. He wants you to feel like you're alone. He Mm -hmm. wants you to feel like God doesn't care. He wants you to feel like everybody Mm -hmm. else is judging you. But everybody wants to be on your side. You just need to let us in. Yes. And so I just want somebody to know that because I just feel like as you were saying that, Irene, there's somebody Mm -hmm. listening that feels like isolation is where I need to be. They don't understand. They're never going to understand. So I'm going to sit in this corner and it might not be through addiction. It might not be through a bottle. And you do such a great job in your book, Irene, of just listing that while while you were struggling with addiction, there are so many other things that we struggle with in our lives Mm -hmm. that can still uh, come to this sort of same situation, right? Of of isolation and shame. And so, yeah, I just, I just felt like really called to just Mm -hmm. say that to somebody listening that please know that there are people and they might not be people that you know of right now, but even getting Mm -hmm. a counselor, which Irene has done tapping into resources in your community. There is Mm -hmm. somebody there that wants to shoulder this pain and this, this journey and this load that you're carrying with you. You do not Mm -hmm. have to carry it alone. You do not have to carry it alone. And you are 100% right on every aspect of that. You're not alone. And uh, literally, I want to just focus on one thing you said. There's nothing new under the sun. Someone else has been there, done that. There's not one thing that's new. Not one thing. So like, I would say shame and pride kind of go in the same box. Because how prideful is it that we think, what do you think you're better than everybody else that for some reason, like you have this bigger issue than other people on the planet? No, we all fall short. We all are broken and we all are human. That's why we needed a savior, Jesus. So just join that like we're all perfectly imperfect. We're perfectly created by God in his image. But we are, when Adam and Eve ate of that apple, we entered into a world of sin and shame. So we can, we have the ability to be resilient in it. Mm -hmm. We don't have to succumb to it. And Mm -hmm. the moment you speak it, the moment you say it out loud, you will feel a weight come off of you that, and a freedom that you've never experienced before. True freedom is when you don't have anything to hide. And it starts with just that, the courageous act of speaking to shame, reaching out for help. Amen. Um, Tell us what rock bottom looked like for you, Irene. When did you, when did you hit rock bottom? When I had to accept that I was going to leave my kids for 40 days. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um but they said, mommy, I need you to get better. Like they didn't understand alcoholism, but when, you know, I had a 14, um, 13 and 11 year old at the time. And they didn't know that me passed out on the bathroom floor when daddy's out of town was alcoholism. They just thought I fell asleep there. (laughs) Um, like 
they their normal began was became us arguing at night about how much mm -hmm. mom was drinking. So rock bottom was sitting in that intake area at rehab and they're going through my bag because they search your bag and everything like that. And they're like, can we take your shoelaces and my belt? And I was so ashamed of myself in that moment. And I just was like, how can this happen to me? This just can never be found out. Like nobody can ever know hmm. that I'm so sick. And I didn't know how to label it at the time, but I was emotionally sick. How did this happen to me? Like I cried all night long. I wouldn't go into the rooms. It was just like, it was so hard for me to accept that I was staying there and that I needed help. And I was that messed up or that broken. That's what rock bottom was for me yeah. sitting in that this, intake room. You tell the story of meeting with a doctor and him asking you if you felt, if you, if you felt like, if you would acknowledge that you were an alcoholic Mm -hmm. Tell tell us this story of how offended you were by what he had said. Oh my goodness. I was so offended. It was day 38 of rehab. And by that point, I had gone through trauma therapy, learned about codependency, done Tai Chi, yoga, acupuncture, just this whole holistic healing process, understood mm -hmm. my trauma, accepted all of these things that happened to me, knew that it was going to be a process to un- do all of the dysfunctional systems that were had been created in my brain. But I would not admit I was an alcoholic. There was no way. And even though they made me go to AA meetings and things like that, I still didn't accept it. I was like, I'll probably get better emotionally and then drink on vacation again one day. Mm. And that's what, you know, I thought I'd get better. I didn't realize, mm. like, I would not accept that I could never drink again. I mm. couldn't imagine it. And this doctor looks at me and he's like, Irene, let me look at your file. He pulls it up and he's like, I, you drink to blackout. You're just, you're drinking and driving. You're arguing with your husband. You're isolated. You're depressed. Um, he's like, if it acts like a duck and walks like a duck, it is a duck. And I was so offended. I was bawling. I cried mm -hmm. for like three hours, like, and I ran out of the that his office, like, and the other counselors in the place are so empathetic and apparently deal with a lot of people like me. So mm -hmm. <laughs> they listened to me, but they didn't confirm what I was saying. They empathized, mm -hmm. but they didn't mm -hmm. agree. And I noticed mm -hmm. it because I had learned a little bit while I had been there. And I was like, mm-hmm they're not confirming what I'm saying. Maybe there's something to what this guy is saying. I just couldn't, the denial. Mm. It just, I look back at it rationally. I'm like, what was, what is wrong with me? Like, how come I missed all the signs? I just couldn't wrap my mind around the shame of saying I was an alcoholic. And I went to AA that night and the, the study we were doing was on, um, and this isn't in my book, that, but it's, we're looking at our life through the bottom of a glass. So the mm. it's distorted. Actually, I did mention this in my book. Yep, you um, did. Yep. Yes. So it's distorted because we're looking mm -hmm. at our worlds through the bottom of a glass and the people that we love are right in front of us, but we can't see them. And it, mm -hmm. it's like the light bulb hit me. I'm like, I have villainized my hus husband because he wanted me to stop drinking. 
I have a problem. Mm. He loves me. He wants me well. My kids do. Like, why can't I put it away? That means I must have a problem. (laughs) If I can't, the consequences are so um, heightened that I'm in rehab and I can't stop on my own. My, I lifted my hand up and said, okay, guys, I got, I, I, I'm going to take a coin. My name's Irene. I'm an alcoholic. The whole place cheered. And I'm like, uh, why are you cheering? They're like, because it's about time. And um, I said, well, why didn't you guys say anything to me? Like, we've been journeying together. You've been hearing me complain and whine about this. They're like, because you had to journey on your own to this mm-hmm. point. It was important that you... Uh, declare and understand that you have a problem with alcohol. Otherwise you wouldn't stop. Right. You had to come to that understanding on your own. And uh, though there was still shame there, I just had a new energy about me, a new grace. And that's what second Corinthians 12, nine promises us in our weakness, you know, his powers perfected. And I felt like it's a supernatural thing. It's like the power of God. Every time I say I'm an alcoholic doesn't mean I'm bad anymore. It means that I can't drink. There's nothing bad about that. I've altered my brain chemistry. One is too many and a thousand isn't enough. So I can never drink. I'm allergic to it. That's what saying I'm an alcoholic is. So to those Christian listeners out there who are saying, you know, we don't label ourselves with these mm. negative things. Mm. I'm okay with my admitting my weakness to alcohol mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because when I admit my weakness, I become a portal for God's power because yes. that's that, one of the translations, the passion translation breaks it down that way. I can boast of my weaknesses. I can celebrate in it. The apostle mm-hmm. Paul says like boast about it because yeah. it's glorifying the Lord and his yes. power at work in me. Well, so when, when we I are weak or when yeah. we are weak, he is strong, right? Yes, the Bible talks yes. about when we are weak, he is strong. Yeah. So I'm glorifying him and his power that I, I'm, I'm saying that I am in, sur- I'm surrendered to you, God, because I can't do this alone. Yeah. I'm saying that I am a raggedy rag doll without you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying when I admit my weakness. So I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause that's truth. Mm-hmm. And truth comes in love, right? Mm-hmm. And God is truth and he is love. And yes. so we we walk in truth because we know we're walking in love. You mm-hmm. talk about, I love this. You said you had to acknowledge that it um, that you had to surrender your mess to Jesus so he can strengthen you with his grace. That it's not up to you to fix your messy life. Preach. Because how many times are we even just taught, Irene, that we need to fix our messy life? We can't. Again, that's why we need a savior. I can't fix my messy life and it's messy. You can't fix your messy life. But this is what, again, leaning on Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, I can't do this alone. It's Mm -hmm. full surrender. And in doing that, tell me how liberating that was to just have that light bulb go on. Oh, the light bulb is beautiful when that happens. Mm. And I'm, that's my prayer for the listeners. Like it doesn't magically disappear in one day through yeah. a process of renewing the mind, meditating on his truth. 
So the light bulb goes off and we do the work, right? Yes. He gives us the strength and the grace and the mercy to put one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, um, to learn, to um, jump out, come out of our comfort zone and connect with people who help mm -hmm. us on the journey. Like mm -hmm. come out of our comfort zone and go to counseling, uh, come out of our comfort zone and just do something different that promotes health. Mm. Even if we are scared, even if we are fearful of taking that step, when we're trusting in the Lord and not our own strength, like you said, when I know that God is with me, he is putting that, helping me put one foot in front of the other, that repeat behavior, repeat is how the mind gets renewed. So I had an old behavior of medicating with alcohol and dysfunctional mm -hmm. way of thinking and negative thought life. And now I'm replacing it by going consistently to AA, celebrate recovery, church, prayer mm -hmm. life, time in my word, reading about addiction, alcoholism, trauma. I'm like, this thing got me once, not going to get me again. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah like becoming like aware of my emotions and saying them out loud, like talk about freeing. So yeah. this has not been an easy thing. I'm six years, um, 10 months sober. I'll be seven years sober, November 12th. Oh, and congratulations. Wow. Thank you. And life still happens. It's still hard. It's still stressful. Yeah. There's still death, betrayal, all these things. I just deal with it different now because yeah. I honor myself. In your book, you have an acrostic and it's stop and mm -hmm. S. And so, and, and explain this to us because you talk about, you know, to those who, again, could be struggling through so many things. And again, it could be addiction to alcohol, but it could be so many other things. Maybe explain what those things could be and maybe sure. walk us through stop and why that mm -hmm. was an important uh, part of just healing and processing. Yes. So all of this anxiety I felt in my body, it needed to get out. The anxiety was from stress. Everybody deals with stress, um, yeah. grief, uh, and that can become a hangup. Grief, mm -hmm. if we get stuck in the grief process. So we have not, um, the, you know, there's eight stages of grief. If we get stuck mm -hmm. in the anger or the denial, then we don't get to acceptance. And so our bodies are keeping score of all of this. So what yeah. does it look like? Divorce, the shame of divorce. We can get mm. stuck in a cycle of sh shame. We don't want somebody to know. Uh, maybe we were a domestic violence, experienced domestic violence. Mm -hmm. You're feeling shame about it. You don't want to expose this loved one. You're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like th this is an unhealthy place to be. And it can become a hurt. This hurt can become a, more of a hang up as yeah. the way I like to put it. And then we can reach for something unhealthy to cope and it can become a habit, whether that's yeah. gambling. It can be a substance. It can be a person because mm -hmm. we can be addicted to being in a relationship. We like mm -hmm. the high off of yeah. being in a relationship. It makes me feel worthy as a woman and a person. I'm important because mm -hmm. I have a ring on my finger. I have a boyfriend or mm -hmm. I'm in a relationship. Now nah, you're mm -hmm. good just by yourself. But yeah. we believe that, but so it could be a hurt, hang up or habit, um, porn, phone, I could go on and on and on. And when mm -hmm. we use it out of moderation, it becomes an addiction. It can become yeah. a, an addiction. And 
tell me that what your question was again, just so yeah, I make sure so, I answer So you it. have this acrostic stop. So S okay, is stop. for stop yes. and pause, right? Yes. So you're having this moment where you're feeling this, uh, all of this anxiety in your body from whichever one of those things I mentioned, right? And yeah. more. Yeah. We have to get the body first to come out of fight, flight, or freeze. This is living a trauma-informed life. So mm-hmm. my body's keeping score, and I know that this stress has to come out. This ain't, otherwise, it's, I'm going to have a panic attack or anxiety attack that I'm going to cope with something unhealthy, so I stop. Just in that stop and then the T, take a deep breath, I have now stopped in my brain the, the fight, flight, or freeze response. Mm-hmm. And in that moment of breathing, that activates... I come out of primitive protection mode, survival, and it can give me an opportunity to observe that's the O. What's really happening? And then reality test it. What's the data here? Am I really, okay, um, let me, let's just pick something, an issue. Um, I had a stressful day at work. Okay, that's real. Yeah. Observe that and then, um, I can make a decision how I'm going to deal with that and I proceed with the Holy Spirit. That's the P. I, so mm-hmm. the O is really big because once we've stopped the fight, flight, or freeze, I'm not going to act out emotionally in rage mm-hmm. and anger or stuff and numb. I'm going to choose to look at this, reality test it. Is it true? Is it 100% true? Mm-hmm. If it's not true, my P, my proceed with the Holy Spirit is going to be you can take it back. If it's shame attack, is this true about me? No, Mm. this is not what the Lord says about me. This is not what I believe Mm. about myself. You can have this shame back. And when you reflect it back to the person who's sending it to you, then Mm -hmm. you're taking power back. So, but the old Irene, before I knew how to stop, would just be like (gasps) taking it all in. As if it's my truth. And it's just my body just, can you imagine the overload of staying in shame all the time? Yeah. Like it's- It's too much for one person to hit. too much. Because shame triggers the limbic system into fight, flight, or freeze. We're not meant to stay there. We were just meant to experience the the shame so we can change our behavior. It's a signal. We're not supposed to stay in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then so. obviously your your body just wants to react. I'm trying to find, uh, mm-hmm. I want to read page 120 if I can sure. find it. Um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, I loved this, Irene. So mm-hmm. you have this, uh, um, you said, I pulled out my phone and began to type out the following affirmations to remind me of the truth. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm just going to read some. And this mm-hmm. was on, um, so this was on December the 24th, 2015. So the day Christmas before Christmas. Eve. Mm-hmm. I am enough. I am worth it. You made me brave, God. I accept my humanity today. I love myself. I forgive myself. Wow. The, the power of forgiving yourself, Irene. Mm. God loves me. Jesus is in my heart and the Holy Spirit lives in me. I am worthy. His grace is sufficient for me. My husband and children love me. My family, friends, and church family love me. I am a good 
person. I am capable of being honest. I am lovable. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic. I have a new way of living life. It is well with my soul. I hear your voice again, Lord, and feel your presence. I am forgiven. I'll never forget this opportunity for healing and life change. I am grateful and hopeful. I have joy in my heart. Thank you, God, for a second chance. Tell me about being in that space of being able to write that. And for me, what what I really focus on are the is the forgiveness part. Because again, the the rest of the world can choose what they want, but when we look internally and say, I forgive myself, wow. Oh, yeah. The power huge. of that, you can be unstoppable mm-hmm. when you just let go of all of the pressure and all the shame. Yeah. I mean, I had learned all of these tools and it's like time to put them to work. And it's like, I'm on this plane. I'm like, I just spent 40 days away from my family. It's Christmas Eve. Like Mm -hmm. I miss Thanksgiving with them. Um, And I had a list of all of these thoughts in my head of all the negative things I was saying over myself. And Mm -hmm. I literally sat there and combated each and every one. So right now the emotion I'm feeling and allowing myself to feel, because that's what I do now in my recovery, I allow myself to feel it and it's not, it doesn't kill me to feel. Mm -hmm. I feel a release when I do, but touching the pain, I remember, you know, being on the plane, writing that Mm -hmm. into my phone. Those are the exact Mm -hmm. words I wrote in my phone and Mm -hmm. it broke the shame and I got a little bit stronger. You get what I'm saying? Like a little bit stronger. I was so fragile and like new. I was Mm. so new at this healthy life thing. So I I can't, I just don't even know what to say outside of fragile. So it doesn't start out like you're, oh, you know, strong and I can do this. And, you know, it's not perfect all the time. I failed first, then Mm. I said, no, I know how to get back up. And I started affirming myself. And then, you know, over time, I actually started to believe it, which is the process of renewing the mind. Yes. Yes. So Mm -hmm. good. And I love what you said earlier on too, Irene. It doesn't mean that everything was smooth sailing after that, right? Correct. Like you still, like you had to come back to your family. Your family had to trust you again. Mm-hmm. All of these things that you, you even listed here. But, but talk to me about your marriage with Jimmy, because you, you talk about the fact that he thought you were cheating on him with alcohol and even just having that communication and that that connection with your husband again to to just re, I guess, maybe find each other again, yeah. love each other again, trust each other again. Mm -hmm. and build it, build the trust that that was a process that was very humbling, um, to say the least. He had to come to family week, and in family week, he learned about addiction. He also understood now that it was a family disease, and he was just as sick emotionally Mm -hmm. as I was in Mm -hmm. my addiction. We were all, as a family, in an emotional crisis, and all of us needed help not just the person Mm -hmm. in the addiction. Mm -hmm. So we all went to counseling. We all learned new ways of communicating. 
family meetings, all of those things that I give detail about in the book, because I want yeah. other people to implement these things that can help them uh, with rewiring and yeah. living in the new healthy way. And um, wait, I got home and, you know, the fear was on him. Like I could see mm. it. Like he was so scared I'd drink again, you know? And um, I remember the counselor um, saying that because he was so adamant about leaving me mm. while I was at rehab. So he was like, I'm going to counseling to get healthy so that when Irene gets back, I can leave her mm. and I'll at least have a healthier baby mama. Right. Mm. And uh, his counselor said to him, Jimmy, if you leave, then the old Irene doesn't get to come back and heal the wounds, you know, that she created, like the new Irene is going to want to heal those wounds. And are you open to that? And just that little inkling he wanted, he was scared, but he wanted our marriage to work at the end of the day. So he, it just that little chance he took to let me back in. And then I had to prove myself through building trust. And I say that in the sense that I gave him full access to everything. I didn't have any money, no credit cards. Mm. You know, he tracked my phone. I didn't go to the grocery store alone. I didn't do anything because Mm -hmm. it was, I had lied so much and snuck alcohol and snuck ways to the liquor store so much that I needed to rebuild the trust. And we needed to figure what out what our new normal was going to be. So it's like, Hey, can I go to the grocery store? I'm going to be, I'm going to need a hundred bucks. That wasn't control. Mm. That was, here's the receipt. I want you to see everything so you can learn to trust me again. And, um, it takes a lot of vulnerability and it's risk and we did it and we had our bad moments. We had our times where he'd get triggered and be like, I could see him get like afraid. And I'm like, what are you feeling right now? We would stop, Mm -hmm. take a deep breath. What's coming up Mm -hmm. for you right now? And I'd get curious and he'd tell me a painful moment that I had caused. And Mm. then I'd get a chance to make amends and say, babe, I'm so sorry. Mm. How can I help you right now? Can I tell you where I'm going? Can I put in, you know, we put Life360 on our phones. Can I, I want Mm. you to have full access. I have nothing to hide, nothing Mm. to hide from you anymore. And that is an intimacy that I never knew existed until it happened. Having nothing to hide from your spouse. That's what God wants us to have in our marriages. Yeah. Yeah. Because then there's no shame. Like, and so like we started healing together and I brought him into my moments of like, I don't have any secrets anymore. Like he knows everything. Like, it's not like we went down some list, laundry list of, you know, secrets. It's like stuff happened mm-hmm. organically as we learned mm-hmm. how to communicate and care for one another and empathize. It would come up. I'd trust him a little bit more with a thought. Oh, I used to do this. This is what I would do mm-hmm. when it's like my car had a GPS to the liquor store. It would just turn. <laughs> yeah. I knew yeah. where yeah. every liquor store anywhere was. Like I, yeah. I said those things out loud to him and it's like, mm-hmm. he was like, wow my gosh, thank you for trusting me with that. And then I just Mm -hmm. kept giving him more and more and more of me. And he loved receiving 
access to parts of my brain and heart that I hadn't given to anybody else. So we're winding down. I have so many more questions, but we're winding down. We're we're winding down. I want to talk about the Sunday that you went to church and you shared with your community Mm-hmm. And what that was like. Again, an Irene that was so fearful that this community did not love her, that she was, you know, going to be ostracized, all of these things that are going on in your head. Mm-hmm. And to go there mm-hmm. and to be able to stand in front of the people that you worship with, that you love Jesus with, and to be able mm-hmm. to tell them the truth. What was that day like? It was the beginning of my new life with, and. Yeah my engagement with the world. Like Mm. I let the world know who the real Irene was that day. And I did it so boldly. When I look back at the video, when you wouldn't be able to recognize the old Irene and this Irene, Mm. like it literally is that extreme. So at my book launch party, I had people there with who had knew the Irene before and mm-hmm. I had people who know me now and they're like, when I, they hear stories or hear, hear me read passages of the book, they're like, who is that person? Yeah. Uh, Went through fire uh, and I don't smell like smoke. Like yeah. it's nothing but Jesus. So yeah. th- that day they, I was met with empathy and me too. And, a, but people got sober. People felt permission to go get help. People were like, we can mm. say this out loud. We can wow. say it out loud. And um, I just can't believe it. Like literally the next week. So I went from never being on stage, having a panic attack to just give announcements on a Sunday morning or, yeah. and I would avoid it at all costs to yeah. getting up there and boldly sharing my testimony, not just saying what happened, but how Mm. I got over. I waited till Mm. I had credibility and I had two years and three months of sobriety behind me before Mm. I shared it because I had to be ready for the warfare and I had to be ready for um, just, I had to give the church that a credible testimony (laughs) Mm. and and it was credible and we had taken care of it privately. Um, We had taken a sabbatical, a long one, uh, to get healthy, the church still grew, and you know, people gave us our privacy to deal with our getting healthy issues. But when they found out what it was, it was like, "Oh, are you serious? Hmm. That's what they were dealing with." Like, hmm. it, yeah. And I just thank God we dealt with our private mess privately. We, but we dealt with it. We got yeah. honest with people like our pastors, our accountability. If we had not done that, we could have hurt a lot of people. And now it's quite the opposite. God has used our mess because we were willing to bring it to him and he's Mm -hmm. using it to save the lives of many people. Mm -hmm. So I'm And that doesn't mean your life is... And that doesn't mean your life is perfect, Irene, because, you know, I, I think that's the one thing as Christians, we go, and now everything is perfect and we tie it up in a little bow, right? And people nope. hear that and they're like, well, then I can't do this because my life's yeah. never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to talk to, in the last couple minutes that we have here, talk to that person that might be struggling through addiction, loss, grief, PTSD, mm-hmm. all of those things. What would you say to them? I would say reach out for help, reach out for help, reach out for help. I'm going to say it again. It's reach out for help. 
literally you're a conversation away, you're a text message away, you're a Google search for a good therapist away, like from breakthrough, from your freedom, you deserve joy. And Psalm 27 says it like we can experience it in the land of the living. And I'm telling you, even though life still happens, I have very bad days. God forbid I'm PMSing. Woo. It's like, <laughs> Lord Jesus, like add the stress on that, the hormones. I'm like, I, like I really need help some days. And mm. I lean into what I know will work. Not mm. the unhealthy thing of alcohol or, you know, whatever. I look for more healthy ways that I know now how to do to take care of myself. And so you're worth the work of taking care of yourself. You're worth the expense of going to rehab. Stop telling yourself, listener, that you don't have enough money. You don't have enough resources. That There are resources out there. There are, okay, you're a single mom. I get it. There's this thing called intense outpatient therapy. Mm-hmm. You, your insurances cover it. Um, intense outpatient patient programs, IOP, mm. three hours a day, they work with your work schedule, but you have the accountability of um, your analysis and there are mm. nurses there that can help you with uh, medications. If you need something like some people had to get on something called antabuse. So like mm. if you drink, you will literally get violently ill. Wow. So they needed that because that's how compulsive it was for them to desire to drink. Um, it, I need, uh, medication Zoloft. My brain doesn't mm-hmm. produce enough serotonin. My dopamine and all of that is all out of whack, especially, you know, at hormonal times of the month. So mm-hmm. I reach out for help to doctors, nurses, professionals, um, pastors, sisters in Christ, like yeah. community is where I get the help I need, uh, to get well and stay well. It doesn't mean life is easy. Like you said, it's still hard as anything, but now I accept God's grace and forgiveness. I accept his, um, like my weaknesses and my brokenness and my humanity. And I kick shame in the face and I say, Hey, I need help. Hey, I stink at this. I could use some help getting better at it. You know what I mean? I'm reframing it and looking at it differently okay, now that I've gotten over it, how can I help someone else with it? That's yes. what keeps me sober is healing, yeah. hearing all of the people I'm accountable to who have heard me share my story. So mm. at, for that, I'll take another 24. For every story I hear of somebody getting well, getting into rehab, getting uh, into therapy to deal with their trauma, whatever it is, I, I celebrate it and it helps me stay sober. Yeah. I love that. You are worth the work. Mm-hmm. You're worth the work. If that's the You're only thing the you money. take away today, yep. please take it. You are worth mm-hmm. the work. The book is called Reframe Your Shame, Experience Freedom from What Holds You Back. There is power in someone's story. There is power in someone's testimony. I'm going to encourage you to pick up Irene's book. If you know of somebody that has struggled through addiction, even if you don't, I think it's a great book to just be able to 
learn from about how even how your mind works as well. Um, Irene, you do such a great job of articulating that so well and walking us through just processes of mentally, how do we process mm-hmm. trauma? And we've all gone through trauma. And so it's definitely worth uh, worth picking up uh, wherever books are sold. Thank you again, Irene, for joining us on here today. Thank you for having me, Maggie. I love, love, love your podcast. And I love oh. how uh, you just love to serve people through this mechanism. Like I really believe that people are learning from you. And so thank you for helping me get this message out to give people hope that they can be free and their loved ones too. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for the boldness of sharing your story and sharing what God continues to do in your life. That takes a lot of, a lot of gumption and a lot of boldness to be able to do that, to be, um, you had to be candid in that way, Irene. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. We've already started the Black Girl Chat and uh, now we're pressing record. <laughs> Welcome back to Black Girl Chat. Roxanne Francis is here. Hey, Roxanne. Hey, Maggie. How's it going? <laughs> Good. So we've already started talking about my conversation with Irene and about addictions and and trauma and how to deal with all of that. And in your work, Roxanne, I'm sure that you, you know, get into this world a lot and discuss addictions and trauma a lot. What have you seen and, and what have you observed? What I find, Maggie, is that a lot of people, most people don't really understand addictions. Um, they see someone who is, quote unquote, an alcoholic or a drug user, um, you know, whether it's narcotics or gambling, whatever, a sex addiction, and they see someone who is problematic, someone who can't get it together, someone who is doing the bad thing. And nobody chooses that life. Nobody chooses to be on the bottle all the time or to be hooked on narcotics. Nobody chooses that. What people tend to be addicted to or hooked on is the um is the, the 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 feeling that you get when you engage in the addictive behavior or the substance mm. is that it um it takes away that pain mm. from the trauma mm-hmm. it takes mm-hmm. away the pain from the loneliness it uh covers up the the lack of relationship um, mm. addiction so often people don't recognize is often about relationship. There's so many people who, yes, they've been through a lot of trauma and, you know, there's narcotics, there's pills, whatever, uh, mm. alcohol, but there are many people who have never gone through trauma and will say, mm. I come from a family who had everything. I come from a, yeah. you know, two parent household, two children, picket fence, whatever. We never had any issues, but so many people mm. will say my parents were never available to me. Um, there was a death in my family and none of us got support. Um, my dad was always away working, whatever it is, but sometimes there is most often there's a fracture in relationships. Somehow people get lonely and there is a really great, um, uh, clinician from Vancouver, Canada, actually, his name is Dr. Gabor Mm. Mate. And he says, trauma is not what happens. It's not necessarily what happens to the individual, but it's being alone with the thing, yeah. not being able to share that with anybody, not being able to process that with anybody. And the feeling that happens inside of you is so overwhelming so that by the time you pick up the alcohol when you're 10 years old, mm. 
you yeah. taste it, sometimes it's not even about, oh, this tastes delicious, but it's the feeling of being transported away from what's going on inside of you. And we get it. We get addicted to that. Wow. The feeling of it. Yeah. 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 And then it's hard to, as we heard through Irene's story, it's hard to rejoin society, really? you know, with, without that yeah. crutch, without that alcohol yeah. or whatever it might be that you're going through. You know, one thing I found interesting about Irene's story was just um, how much uh, like her husband also needed to take ownership mm -hmm. as well of the conversation mm -hmm. and and just what was happening in the family. And, you know, she said, you know, while she was dealing with the addiction, he thought it was all her problem mm -hmm. and he was just supporting her. Mm -hmm. But realizing, wait a minute, I need to come alongside and I need to get therapy in order for us to be fully whole. Right. What have you seen also like just in that world of spouse, partner, also realizing, wait a minute, maybe I also need to look introspectively in order for both of us to journey into a healthy yeah, path and direction. It's very easy to say that person needs to get help. But yeah. if you are in a, a, a couple relationship or a family relationship with the person, you are a part of the system, yeah. right? And so you will likely have resentment to what's going on for them mm -hmm. without understanding what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. particularly in, in Irene's situation, her husband's a minister. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, this, this idea of people seeing you as perfect and having to carry that, right. Uh, yeah. walking around, uh, listening to people's stories, carrying people's pain. If you are not able to manage that, it can become a huge burden. And if yeah. you are not, um, emotionally healthy enough to carry that weight, then you are going to need a crutch and your partner mm -hmm. is not able to see that because sometimes, especially as a minister, I can't speak to that because my partner is not a minister, but yeah. um, there is a big role. You're leading a church, you're, you're, you're leading God's people. And so sometimes yeah. maybe you're not even as present for your bride as you are for the bride to Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if mm -hmm. she is now feeling that she has to carry that alone, then yes, he is going to need therapy in terms of how I can come alongside and support my wife. Yeah. And also I think too, as you were saying that even triggers, right? So yes. we don't realize how, when we are speaking to somebody, how that could be triggering. Yes. And so while we didn't get into that as much in Irene's conversation, as you were talking, I'm thinking, you know, if you have, if you're living with somebody or you have a spouse or a partner that's going through an addiction or trauma, it's just even being aware of certain words, yes. certain things that you might do that might be triggering to the other yes. that could send them back to an unhealthy space. hundred percent. I was talking to a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, they were talking about arguing in their relationship. And I was saying to them, each person comes to uh, a couple relationship with our own baggage and wounds from our single life. And mm -hmm. we have these wounds that are just below the surface and it doesn't take much in terms of words or behavior for those wounds to become raw again. But your partner is unaware of the wounds yeah. that of, of the words rather that would cause those wounds to come to surface. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so we have to start having some open discussion and some awareness around how even as loving partners, we can trigger each other. Yeah. Well, and they, and, you know, you stumbled on that word, but I think you were right as well. Like some of our partners might not even know that we have wounds yes, yes. as well. 
right? They might be unaware that there are wounds. And that's one thing that uh, Irene said is that the beauty of this relationship was come out of it with her and her husband is this openness to talk about all things, Mm -hmm. right? And no longer is there's a secretive, uh, you know, attitude between either of them, but like when they're feeling frustrated that they can speak openly when they're, you know, whatever emotion that they're going through. And and I think that's a lesson anybody can learn, even if you're not facing trauma at this particular point in your life is just opening up so that, yeah, your partner is aware of wounds, aware of hurts, and that you can be free to talk to Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So good. Thanks, Roxanne. I told you it would be a good one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for checking out here with me, Maggie John. I want to thank our guests, Irene Rollins and Roxanne Francis for joining me today. Check out our Instagram page here with Maggie for more great content. Hey, we're all on a journey. Let's learn from each other. Please subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode. A new episode drops the 19th of every month. Hope to see you here next time.